Good morning. I hope that you are knowing the Lord's help and blessing as we continue through this unique season and that you're seeking to redeem the potential of our present moment in your life, in the life of your family, and uh, in all that you seek to do. Locate this morning in your Bibles the Old Testament prophecy of Haggai and the second chapter. And in just a moment, I'm going to read from verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And this place, in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Great God and most gracious Heavenly Father, draw near to our hearts with your comfort, with your consolation. While we are far apart from each other, remind us that you are near, that you are with us always. While we continue to struggle and wrestle with the isolation of this time, we pray that you would assure us of your presence. Give us strength, Lord God. Give us power, wisdom, self-control. Help us to love one another. Help us to continue always in prayer. Help us now to focus on your word, uh, this, this medium that we have been uh, forced to use during this time uh, has much potential, but also much uh, distraction. And no, it's not the same, but Lord, I pray that we would take what we can get now. And Lord, that you would nourish us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The Jewish festival of Sukkot, often called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths, is a festival of pure joy and celebration. But while Sukkot was a time of, of joy and celebration, it was not divorced from worship and thanksgiving. This was a party with a purpose. It celebrated the ingathering of the harvest, and it expressed thanksgiving for that, whilst especially commemorating the faithfulness of God to the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness after they left the land of Egypt and their slavery. So they would eat, they would drink, they would sing, they would dance, they would build temporary structures, thus tabernacles or booths, uh, and they would, uh, they would camp out in these temporary structures with their family to remember when they were homeless, nomadic refugees wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. God provided for them then. He would provide for them again. And yet, whilst gathering to celebrate the present harvest and to commemorate God's past provision for them, there was nonetheless a concern as they looked ahead into the next year. With a new harvest freshly gathered, there is the concern that they will yet again be able to reap a harvest in the coming year. A contemporary Jewish scholar has written, the joy of Sukkot is offset by a pervasive concern about water. As we give thanks for the harvest just completed, we begin to worry about the bounty of the next one. That Sukkot could, should manifest angst about rainfall is not surprising. In Israel, it is only the winter months that bring rain. The margin of safety is precarious. What does that have to do with the text that I just read? Well, we are helped in uh, the, that the prophet has dated his messages. And so we have in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Oh, by our uh, modern reckoning, this would be uh, October the 17th, the year 520 B.C., the 17th of October, this would have been the next to the last day of the Feast of Booths, of Sukkot, of the Festival of Tabernacles. So the day before this great festival of celebration comes to its conclusion, the word of the Lord comes to the people by the hand of Haggai the prophet. That is, he writes them a message that is then delivered to them. It's the seventh of the eight days of this festival. And Sukkot is, it, it's not like Christmas where a dad or mom can announce Christmas is canceled when the money isn't there and the kids are misbehaving. This was a festival that was legislated by God himself. It's encoded in the law. They have to observe it. 
But you can imagine that this particular year's celebration of this festival took place under something of a cloud, but not a rain cloud. You see, the land is covered by famine. The people are impoverished compared to their glory days before the exile. The streets of Jerusalem are not teeming with the same number of people as generations past. There is no temple to fill with these, uh, these jubilant celebrations. The land has, uh, again, it's been struck by famine that even the prophet Haggai has announced. And... As you look around, the, the lands and the, the hills are barren. There's no grain in the fields. There's no wine or oil in the presses. There's no strength in man or beast. The people have only, been, only recently been rebuked by Haggai. Um, and their, their misplaced priorities and their negligence toward rebuilding God's house has been taken to task. And they've repented. And they've begun to rebuild with a sense of urgency and even, we might say, enthusiasm. And yet still they celebrate with necessary restrictions. By the time we get to chapter 2, verse 1, it's been a month or so since they properly began this task the new has begun to wear off of their obedience. Perhaps you know what that's like. Maybe it, it, it's best illustrated with reference to, to you, uh, with perhaps New Year's resolutions, something like that, where you end a year resolving to do something, more of one thing, less of another thing, to, uh, to, to, to make some serious changes or to make some minor adaptations to your life. They say that most people, as much as 90% of people, do not make it through the first three weeks of the new year before they give up. Here, these, these, these people have, have begun to obey the Lord. They've begun to rebuild the temple, and yet they are giving up their commitment to obey the Lord their God in this task that he has assigned to them most recently by the prophet Haggai. They've been journeying toward restoration, but they've hit some roadblocks. Maybe you know what that is like. Uh, that they, they, they certainly should have known what it's like because when they first started this project, they hit some roadblocks. I'm not saying like when they first started after Haggai came to them, but when they first started 16 years before, 18 years before, around, around there, when uh, the, the, the people were freshly back in the land and they did start, but as we saw in the second message in this series. If you've not listened to that, you can uh, just go back and have a listen to, to that from Haggai chapter 1 verses 1 through 2. We saw that they were um, faced by disappointed expectations, similarly to what we'll see in a moment in these verses. 
But Ezra chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, talks about when they've laid the foundation. You know, some people are shouting with great celebration, and other people are weeping, wailing. You couldn't discern the cheers from the, the, the wailing because there were some people really upset by how inadequate this temple was compared to with what once had been. Disappointed expectations. There were also some, uh, we called them bad Samaritans. Some of the people that were uh, in the land that had, had uh, intermarried and had um, settled in the land from other distant reaches of the uh, empires that had overcome the land and they opposed them. And so faced by social opposition and systemic corruption, the going was difficult. And of course, we, we see it here in this passage yet again, uh, there, there were good intentions that got in the way. They needed to build their own houses. But what started as building shelter for themselves became uh, more enhancing their accommodations with, with decoration and making them plusher and more comfortable. And they're investing very heavily in their own lives, rebuilding themselves, their own lives, their own prosperity and such, that they're losing sight of the priorities that really matter as pertains to their relationship with God. And now again, they come up against uh, roadblocks, particularly that first one of disappointed expectations. The text says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? That's verse three, by the way. Um, how do you see it now? It's, is it not as nothing? in your eyes. Think of how dispiriting that must have been. They were re repenting. They were reprioritizing. They were getting up and doing the things that they should have been doing for a while but had been putting off. Doing so in the strength and the promise that God was with them. But now they are not, not at all long into it. Like I said, a month or so into it, they're facing a lack of motivation and discipline to get the job done and thereby to glorify God and please him. And perhaps at the beginning of this very unique and new season in our life as a church, when we are unable to meet together, you, you set out at the beginning thinking this might be really good for me spiritually. This might, um, uh, because of the, the change of, uh, of scenery, the change of pace, change of schedule, this might put the ball in my court as far as me taking some responsibility for my own spiritual growth and progress. And you felt motivated. You were going to spend more time in scripture. You were going to pray more. You were going to be more intentional in fellowship with your brothers and sisters, not face to face, but you were going to call them and you were going to text them and you were going to stay in touch somehow. But now a month or so into it, you're feeling deflated and discouraged. And, and, and what, you know, when, when I preached Back, back then from the very beginning of this book in uh, Haggai 1, 1 through 2, I got people calling me and texting me saying they were really helped and blessed by, uh, by, by that, that message. Then all this has happened and people thought, yeah, we're going to get to apply some of this stuff. And now a month in or so, 
the new has lost its shine. Not that it ever was particularly shiny, but the sense of motivation and urgency and enthusiasm that perhaps you had is beginning to, to wane. Discipline, self-control is out the window. You're, you're, you're not living healthily as an individual or as a, a, a Christian. You're, you're, you're not tapping into that, that spirit of power and love and self-control, which should be guiding your life at this challenging moment. You've, like those people in the days of Haggai, you've encountered some roadblocks on your road to restoration. Let's think more about some of those roadblocks. Um, memories. It used to be like this. Even when we come back after this, this time is over, and I believe it will be over by grace, the grace of God and his goodness, we will meet again. But we'll, we'll, some, some of you might, might then begin to hit some roadblocks because you'll remember things being a certain way and you want us to just conjure that back up again. And, and, and it might not even be how it was prior to this time of quarantine and lockdown. Some of you may, may cling to memories of the more distant past, days that people that are um, uh, more recently in our congregation won't remember, that they, they weren't around for, seasons uh, of, of great blessing and um, uh, just really knowing the, the, you know, the power of God in our midst in, in very tangible ways in us and through us. And instead of being satisfied with still the power of God in our midst now, we want that manifestation as it used to be. Maybe it wasn't even in this church. Maybe it's some other church experience that you've had that, that you, you, know, you were really blessed by and encouraged by or, or, or something else. Memories, it used to be like this. I'm not even saying bad memories that hold you back, but good memories can sometimes be the most painful ones. It used to be like this. Not only memories, but expectations. I wanted it to be like that. So, so, you know, memories, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory back in the day when, when the temple that, that, that was built by Solomon still stood, a temple that was fashioned with such beauty and material and all of that filled with treasure. Its value was in the billions and billions of pounds in modern day currency. And now they're building this thing. Basically, the offering that they'd received for the rebuilding of this temple would have likely been in the tens of thousands, under 100,000 pounds in our money. You, you, can't, you can't build a multi-billion pound complex with less than 100,000 pounds. Who of you remembers this temple in the days of its former glory? These are people who would have been in their 70s, 80s, 
90s. Their memories, but then there's their expectations. Their memories impact their expectations because he says, how, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? It used to be like this. I wanted it to be like that. Memories, expectations, hopes. I was looking forward to the temple when it would look like this. I was looking forward to that, that room there. I was looking forward to that artifact there. I was looking forward to the, the environment, the atmosphere, the dreams, the way I envisioned it was like this, not like that. And you can see how this is unhelpful, I hope, but do realize that all of us experience these roadblocks on the way to our own restoration uh, ideals, which we would like to think are more concrete than our memories, expectations, hopes, and dreams. But, uh, you know, it's, I really think it should be this way. This is how it should be. This is what it should look like. This is how it should be done. You can imagine everyone having their own ideals and their own opinions and all of them bringing those to the table. In the days of Solomon, this multi-billion pound complex uh, is, is built by skilled craftsmen. Now you have... 60, 70,000 pound, then 50,000 pound, you know, structure that's being put up by volunteers. And all of them have a sense that, oh, we can do this. All of them have a sense of, at the same time, we can't do this. All of them have ideas about how things should be done, how things shouldn't be done, and it, it, it's difficult. It's getting difficult. Uh, you know, these particular roadblocks are unseen. You're going down the road to restoration, and you, you hit something that's mental or emotional or spiritual. Uh, these are things that are rooted in what you think, what you feel, and where you are in your relationship with God, they hinder your progress by causing you to stop, even as, as it caused these people to stop and to consider the block when you should be progressing on the road. You know, it's in the name, but I'll say it anyway. Roadblocks are fundamentally opposed to your progress, especially the ones we see in this text. The people start with who they are, right? Who they are. And what they have experienced in the past. They move to what they see and feel in the present. Processing that through the lens of the past. Present, past, present. So instead of linear progression, moving from from A to, to B, actually, what they experience uh, it mentally is more of a, a cyclical regression. So instead of A to A to, to B, getting around the roadblock somehow and keep going, they, 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 they stop at the roadblock and they turn around. 
But then they come back and the roadblock is still there. And so they turn around. And so long as they, they stop to consider the roadblock and react to the roadblock, they're still going to be turning around. And they're just going around in circles. Um, and, and, and maybe that's, that's definitely how these people are. It might be how you are in your own road to restoration with God. Your own progress. Your own rebuilding. They start at the past. They look at the present through the lens of the past. They seek to recreate the past in the present. And thereby, you notice something? They totally neglect the future. If you were to structure their thoughts, they would be present, past, present. And the present looks very much like the past. What God, though, is calling them to uh, on this next to last day of Sukkot is to remember the past with gratitude, but to live in the present with godliness and to look forward to a future filled with God's greatness and glory. To say we had a great temple. God himself brings that to their attention. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? We had a great temple worth billions of pounds. Present. We don't anymore. But we're going to build anyway. Less than 100,000 pounds. How could it ever be great? Ah, leave that with God. He's told us to rebuild. We're going to rebuild anyway. God will provide. His plans are good. And they all work for his pleasure and glory in the progress of his people. So we commit ourselves to the way of the Lord. We commit ourselves to the design that God has given to us. We commit ourselves to obeying the messenger from God. And as we do... He will provide. He'll help us. And the, the end result, we, we will do everything we can. But that end result is for God, to God. And we trust that even as we've been faithful, he will be pleased with where we end up. We must overcome these roadblocks. We must continue down the road to restoration, the road to, um, to, to rebuilding, so as we, we overcome these, these, these roadblocks, um, we're traveling down the road to, to, to restoration yet again. Does that mean it's easy going from there? We, we, we've gotten over our memories. We've gotten over our expectations. We've gotten over our hopes, dreams, and ideals. There's still, there's still struggles. There's still challenges. For example... Traveling down the road to restoration, you begin to feel weak. You're tired. You're hungry. You feel powerless under the crushing weight of responsibility in the face of immense need. And that's doubtless how they felt because God gives them an answer to this, at least in the text, unexpressed feeling. Imagine God himself has called you to look and consider the past and the temple in its former glory. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And, and you're, you're, you're trying, you know, they're trying, they're trying to rebuild. They're trying to, to, to get things 
to some semblance of beauty and glory with what little they have and how dispiriting it is, how draining it is, how wearying that can be. But what does God say? Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Zerubbabel being again the, the governor of these people. He doesn't leave it with Zerubbabel. Be strong. O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And he doesn't leave it with Zerubbabel. And Joshua, he says, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. So God answers weakness with power. God looks at the weariness and the weakness of his people and says, not once, not twice, but three times, be strong, be strong, be strong. And God is not, we believe that God's word is living and active and it's like sharper than a two-edged sword. And so it's speaking to you today God is telling you, as much as he, as he was telling them, to be strong. They might have said, well, God, God doesn't know what it's like. Maybe that's what you're saying. God doesn't know what it's like. He doesn't know what I'm feeling. He doesn't know what I'm seeing and how exhausting this is. Be strong. I'm sorry. That's not how you... That's not what you tell someone who's weak. You don't just tell someone who's weak, be strong. Well, God does. And these people in their weakness, maybe they think, you know, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk away from the work that God has given me. And so in weakness, they begin to walk away. But they hear it. God says, work, work. There at the end of verse four, work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. So God answers our weakness with power. God answers our walking away from work with his presence. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm among you. I'm helping you be strong because I'm here with you and I am strong. And in, in, in our weakness, sometimes we, we walk away. We, we try to give up, but God is saying, I'm with you. I'm among you. I'm in you. I'm, I'm through you. I, I am still powerful when you are weak. I'm still present when you want to walk away. My spirit remains in your midst. That's what he says. Verse five, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. So imagine they're, they're on the next to last day of Sukkot. They're celebrating, even under the shadow of all of the, their present circumstances, they're celebrating with gratitude and thanksgiving God's goodness in their life, the way God has sustained them, the way God has provided for them, the way God has gotten them through, the very structures in which they live now, these temporary booths that they've built, remind them that God made sure they had a roof over their head. 
the, the, the food that they eat, even now it would be less than they would have in days of relative prosperity. But it reminds them that God made sure that they had food on their plate. And at some point, either during the exile or around this time frame and later on in the second temple period, they, they had a practice where they would take water, they would draw water, and they would pour it out at the altar. And as they poured out this water at the altar, they would remember how God always made sure that they had something to drink. They would particularly remember how God provided water from a rock out of an unlikely place, just in the middle of the wilderness, water. And all throughout their, their story, when water was a threat to them, God guided them through the water. When, 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 when lack of water was a threat to them, God gave them water to drink, to quench their thirst. And their water spiritually, the Holy Spirit, remains in their midst. God is refreshing them and renewing them spiritually for the task at hand. And yet they might worry still. They might be afraid. And so he reiterates on the basis of his command and, and, and his promise that he is with them. Work for I am with you. God says, fear not. So the God who got them through the wilderness will get them through this spiritual wilderness in which they presently exist. And the, the, according to his covenant, this, this, the, his promises, this relationship that he has secured with them, and they don't have to worry. They don't have to be afraid. Why? God answers their worry with his peace. Yet once more, which is to say this won't be for the first time, yet once more I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Remember what they were remembering with this festival. The days of the Exodus and God getting them through the wilderness and providing for them. God bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land. And all that is encapsulated within that saga, the heavens and the earth shook in those days. Wonders were done. The nations were shaken. The, the people, it's like as they were leaving the land of Egypt, it's, it's like God picked up these oppressive, enslaving pagan people and shook them and their valuables fell out because they're running out of their houses and they're giving their slaves their treasure. God says, you've just been remembering all of that this week. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to shake the nations and I, I provided for you in and through the wilderness. I'm going to provide for you in and through this wilderness. You will build the temple. 
I'll fill this. The treasures of all the nations shall come in. I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of armies, the Lord of great power and might, who commands all the forces and powers of this world, who reigns over all of the nations and kingdoms of earth, this house will be greater still. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Our weakness with power, our walking away with his presence, our worry with his peace. And that peace is rooted in promises of his power, of his presence, and of his provision, which is a manifestation of those other things. So we, we can rest, we can be assured the people would have heard this message and they would have been at peace. They would have been at rest. They would have been rejuvenated for the work of rebuilding. And all that once was will be restored, but better. I'll give peace. God's telling you in his word today to be strong. God's telling you to fear not. God's telling you to get on with your life, following him, serving him, committing to him, not being beaten by your roadblocks, but continuing down the road to restoration. I hope, friends, that you understand that this text is not just for the returned exiles in the year 520 BC. I hope you see that. This is for you. Indeed, Prophecy generally has multiple layers of fulfillment anyway. This temple would be built and it would be a glorious place and it would, would have the treasure of the nations, whether, whether it's the, um, uh, the, the, the Persians and their generosity and supporting the work of, uh, of the returned exiles or it's the, um, uh, the, the defeated Seleucids after they come and desecrated the place again. They didn't destroy it, but they desecrated it. And then they fall to the Maccabeans and it's restored yet again. Or if it's in the days of, of uh, the, the, the Roman Empire when there's this great uh, restoration project on the temple and it's still continuing in the life of Jesus and it's beautiful and it's grand and it's wonderful, the temple would be built. And it would be built with the treasures of the nations and it, 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 its glory would be great indeed because God keeps his promises to provide even when his people walk away, which even after this, over the centuries, they would and they did. There is a historic fulfillment. But there's also a messianic fulfillment. 
history and history leads us to Christ and Jesus Christ would enter into this, this rebuilt, newly even in his days, refurbished temple. One of the wonders of the world at that time. And he would look around and he would say, this temple will be destroyed. But three days later, it will rise again. And the people who heard him, they were absolutely scandalized by that. They were like, no, in the days of Haggai, this thing, you know, God, God was like, rebuilt the temple. And it, was, it, was, it needed to be rebuilt because the Babylonians had destroyed it. And, and then they rebuilt it and then it has to be refurbished because centuries of abuse and even desecration and defilement yet again and all that. It's bad people who tear down the temple and you're, and you're looking around saying this is all going to, to crumble and three days rise again and it's been decades in the making as it is now. But he was referring to the temple of his body. Because Jesus Christ is the glory of God among us, made flesh. We have seen his glory. The Apostle John said, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then you read in um, uh, Hebrews that Jesus is the radiance of of the Father's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. We have glory walking among us. And he says, this temple will be destroyed, but three days later will rise again. It will crumble, but rebuilt because Jesus would, would be hung up on a cross. He would die for our sins so that we who were broken down by sin and by fear of death could be rebuilt in his rebuilding because as he rises again, we are justified. That is, we are declared righteous in the sight of God as we trust in Jesus. He's paid the price for our sins. He has conquered death and the grave. He, he has rid us of our slavery to, to fear. He is our triumphant king and Savior. That's good news, friends. Historic fulfillment. The temple. It is. You, you, don't, don't go on about some physical building. Like it's. it's uh, you know. I wasn't looking for that. I, was, I, I wasn't looking for Jesus. You know. And that's not what he's talking about. Well, actually, Jesus is better than a building. Jesus is something better. He is something greater than all of the types and figures and shadows of the old covenant system of temple and um, basins and altars and all of the paraphernalia of worship in those days. Jesus has fulfilled all of that. He is not only our, our, our sacrifice, he is our, not only our temple, he is our great high priest. He takes all of the boxes of the things that we read about in the Old Testament. We just have to come to Jesus. It's good news. Uh, you know, Haggai stood up on the, in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month, 
But, but friends, there was a time when Jesus would walk into the temple and he would stand up in the seventh month. Not on the 21st day of the month, but on the 22nd day of the month. Not the next to last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, but the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the last day of the feast, the great day, the priests are circling the altar seven times with a basin of water, which they will pour upon the altar to remember the water that God has provided in the past and to pray for the water that he will provide in the future. Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so even as in the, the days that, that, that the people of Haggai had some knowledge and experience of the Holy Spirit there in the moment, Jesus is saying, my people who come to me are going to have a continuous flow of the Holy Spirit in and through their life. It won't get stale. It won't grow stagnant. It will be flowing forever through them and in them, refreshing them, revitalizing them, cleansing them. The Spirit will be in you if you come to Jesus. You will know all the promises Haggai made about power, about God's presence, about God's peace. And the provision of everything that you need will be found in Jesus Christ. But you will have an even greater knowledge and experience of that than they did in those days. Because again, something better is here. Someone better, someone greater is among us. That's, you know, that's great. So, so we have, we have a, a historic fulfillment. We have a Messiah fulfillment. We also have a church fulfillment. Because in pouring out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, we see this vast catalog of people from all over the empire. Languages that were being spoken, real human languages that were being spoken, coming out of the, the, the mouths of the apostles who hadn't studied those languages, right? So I, I'm not proficient, regrettably, in any language other than English. It would be like me suddenly beginning to speak. And, and I think I'm speaking in English, but coming out of my mouth, you're hearing Turkish, or Albanian, or Twi, or, or, or some language that's represented in our community. And it's like, where did that come from? I didn't know you was taking classes. I wasn't. So that's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. They're, they're, they're speaking, and people are hearing them each in their own languages, and they're hearing what? The message of Jesus Christ. So the nations are gathered in. Some of these were Jews who had been scattered. Some of them were Gentiles who had become Jews, either fully or in a sense, as God-fearers. You have, uh, the, the, yet again, the treasures of the nations. 
People like the Ethiopian eunuch, who was a treasurer, who repents of his sins and, and comes to, to faith in Jesus Christ and goes back and begins preaching the gospel and planting churches in East Africa. The treasures of the nations will be gathered. God is gathering people from all around the world, all the nations of the earth. And he's saying, you are treasure. You are beautiful, precious stones. And I'm taking you precious. He said this through his servant, Peter, the apostle Peter. I'm taking precious, holy, living stones and I'm building them into a temple for my glory. There's, there's an end times fulfillment, friends, because one day the great treasure of the nations will come. The great desire of the nations will come and he will banish evil and he will reign triumphantly in his kingdom on earth and he will establish true worship. And what exactly that looks like and what, 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 whether or the, there's literal structures or whether any structures that for Ezekiel, for example, might prophesy or that we might read about elsewhere are, um, are in place. The Lord Jesus Christ will reign as king and that's what matters. And he will be worshipped and he will be adored. And still the darkness will push back and still inexplicably the evil will fight back. But Jesus Christ will win. In fact, the evil pushes back because Jesus lets it push back. So that he can smash it down once and for all. And then we read it. They're at the end of all things. No, the beginning, the beginning of new things. We read an internal fulfillment. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, which says, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their, their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. God is doing a great thing. We must trust him. We must not harden our hearts, but we must hear his voice. And we must long for the rebuilding of this temple, the temple of our bodies, because we are told that that we individually are temples through the Holy Spirit. The rebuilding of this body, this gathering of believers, because we are told that the church is the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we have to work with here and now. And God will help us. But as we live in the present, we look forward to the future. 
Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, thou art. Dear desire, dear treasure, in the words of Haggai, every nation, joy of every longing heart. Or same author had a thing for, for praying about uh, the, the, the Lord coming and reigning in us and, and through us and among us. We sing this song oftentimes uh, around Christmas as we commemorate and celebrate the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We not only look to his first coming, but we look forward to his second coming in power and glory to establish his reign. Come, desire of every nation. Come, fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Now display your saving power. Ruined nature now restore. Now in mystic union join. Thine to ours and ours to thine. It's a prayer from church history set to music. Essentially, it's asking, God, take out of us what doesn't look like you. Fill us with everything that does look like you. May we know your power. May we know your presence. May we know your peace. Restore us, Lord. Rebuild us, Lord. And God is with us in ways even greater than in the days of Haggai the prophet. And God will be with us. Let's trust him.